Welcome to Reflections from the Heart, presented by Stewardship, a mission of faith. Reflections from the Heart with your host, David Abel, is an outreach of Gospel Reflection, a ministry of Stewardship, a mission of faith. For the next 30 minutes, please join David as he breaks open the bread of life in the Gospel reading for Sunday's Mass. And as the same Holy Spirit who inspired the biblical writers, inspires us today with the truths he reveals to our hearts through his word. Now, here's David with Reflections from the Heart. Welcome everyone to another session of Reflections from the Heart. My name is David Abel. Today I'm joined by Rob Longo and Damon Owen. Welcome one and all. Good to be here, David. Yeah, it's great. Awesome, awesome. Everybody would take a moment and get their Bibles. Turn to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 20 through 22, 27 and 28, and 33 through 34 and 37. And uh, before we break open the bread of life, Rob, do you mind inviting the Holy Spirit into our hearts to see how Jesus wants to speak to us today? I would love to. Let's pray. In the name of Father, Father Son, Son, Holy, Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for choosing us, your sons and daughters. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the gift of your word. Thank you for loving us so much that you became one of us. And thank you for sending the Holy Spirit to live in and with and through us. So, dear Holy Spirit, we ask you to fill our hearts with your love, fill our hearts and our minds with your wisdom and knowledge and understanding, and then with your courage that we can live the word in all aspects of life, as husbands, as fathers, as wives, as mothers, as brothers and sisters and friends, in all aspects of life, that we would have the courage to live the word. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The Father and the Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Damon, do you mind giving us a little bit of gospel love today? I'd love to. Our gospel is from Matthew chapter 5, verses 20. Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to your ancestors, you shall not kill, and whoever kills will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. You have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Again, you have heard that it was said to your ancestors, Do not take a false oath, but make good to the Lord all that you vow. But I say to you, Do not swear at all. Let your yes mean yes, and your no mean no. Anything more is from the evil one. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, Lord Lord Jesus Jesus Christ. Christ. As you were reading, Damon, I circled the word lust, and I reread the sentence. But I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lust, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. The word woman also means our wives. It's not Mm. just another woman. Mm. And that word lust, what it put down, what is lust? And really lust is actually devoid of love. Because love, it is, because lust is self-gratification. It's all about me, my gratification. But love is truly free, total, faithful, and fruitful. So we're called to be one flesh with our bride, to have that one flesh union. But that one flesh union is meant to be that sign of the eternal exchange of love between God the Father and the Son, which is the outpouring of the third, a third person of the Holy Spirit. So for me, when we lack any of that, which most importantly includes fruitful 
When we contracept, go against life, contra, against, ception, life. When we go against life and we contracept and it becomes about self-gratification, you know what? It's devoid of love. It truly is. It's self-gratification. So for me, this is a, a huge challenge. I never mm. want to look at my spouse, let alone another woman, with the eyes of lust because lust is all about me. Yeah, I tell you, I, I, I believe that uh, vision, that view you just shared here is not only controversial and challenging now, I think this is just a, a continuation of how challenging Christ's call is, was to them. Imagine the Jews hearing this now, right? Who People of the law, and we're given the law and saying the law brings righteousness and, and the great gift from God that if you don't commit adultery, right, then you are righteous, right? And our Lord's saying, yeah, well, that's, that's good that, that you don't break the law. But let me tell you, the problem is not just in you breaking the law. The problem is your heart desires to break the law. Hmm. And for the Jew, the good Jew, to hear that the law is not just an external ethic, just things that everyone can see you cross over and violate, but actually the inner secret workings of your heart, that yes. must have rocked hmm. the righteous Jew even more than the unrighteous, just like the understanding of contraception and and loving rightly our own wives rocks us right now. The power here, I think, will be for every age. And as you talked about that, I, I even as all these years I've taught this and, and marriage and love and sexuality and love, even I winced thinking, oh my gosh, when we say this out loud, what people are going to actually say? Because we know the power of this truth is not in the law. The power is not in telling people what they ought to do or not ought to do. The power is in what Christ is inviting us to relook at our own hearts and to say, what are the desires that move us to do evil? What are the things that are secretly in our hearts that think are going to bring us joy would actually bring death? Right. And lusting is not the same as sexual desire, right? right? Sexual desire is beautiful. It's the gift. It's the original gift. Lust is the twisting hmm. of the sexual desire away from being the gift to the other to taking the other from my own. And just as you said with that passion, Dave, about seeing where that applies in our own marriages or in our sisters or brothers or in contraception, we've got to do that hard work every day to be able to look at ourselves uh, through God's eyes and to say, Lord, where's the seed of this that's drawing me away from you? Where's the real work? Am I fooling myself by being so righteous in front of others and following the external laws so that people lurking, are looking? When I'm in my own heart, I'm this this whitewashed tomb where inside I, I desire all these things that are, that are out of order and, and, and bring me death. Uh, Jesus' radical call here in Matthew 5 is just as radical as it is today. Well, and you know, for 46 years as a Catholic, I always said, you know what, that's a church teaching, contraception, but eh, that's not for me. I'm, I'm, I, you know, I was born and raised Catholic, but I went into my marriage, mm. you know, contracepting. I, I taught people, you know, yeah, contraception, that's okay. But guess what? I was wrong. And when God revealed that truth to me 12 years ago, almost 13 years ago now, he did it in such a beautiful way as he peeled back that the, the, the scales that were on my eyes. Because see, when we close the bedroom door, God should be there with us, with our bride. When we close the bedroom door and say, now, God, you wait out here. I'm going to play God in the bedroom. I'm going to decide whether or not I want life or not. It takes us back to the scene in the garden where we choose to eat of the fruit of the tree of, which was on a scripture reading this, this morning in Genesis, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we choose 
what is good and what is evil. We choose life or no life. We say to God, I don't want the gift of life of a child. I'm just doing this for me. Wait outside. Well, that's a grave sin, and I never knew it. But when my eyes were open to it, God wants to give us the gifts of these beautiful, beautiful children to do what? To be special and to proliferate in the faith this truth which has been given to us through our parents to teach them so they can also go out to share that truth with the world. And the enemy, what's he want to do? Block that. Just have one or two. Block that. And then say, we are controlling the population. Well, excuse me, isn't that God's role? Who are you to control population? Mm -hmm. You know, and why aren't we open to God being in the bedroom with us and ask him to help us purely and passionately love first and foremost his daughter, secondly, his sister, and then thirdly, his bride, purely and passionately. Because when we do that, his daughter, his sister, his bride, which is our bride, responds to that. Why? Because they can taste and see the Christ within us. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful. And you know what? Is it easy? No, but love is sacrificial. The greatest act of love is to lay down your life for another. Well, you know what? To lay down those disordered desires for another what a beautiful gift. It's love. Just thinking of you know, just some things as you guys were sharing <clears throat> and just going back to this word righteousness. And uh, I think two Sundays ago uh, was the Beatitudes. That's right. So blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. This sets up the Beatitude. This is, yeah, coming up on, right after Matthew 5, in Matthew 5. So do we have a hunger and a thirst for righteousness? Because mm. when our desires are disordered, we have a lot of, I had a lot of of hunger and thirst for everything that the world says is going to make me happy. Because right? blessed can be replaced, and in some translations it is replaced with happy. Right? So the Beatitudes are really a new, uh, you know, a new happiness, a new way of defining happiness. So happy are those, happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And then we talk about desire. I mean, God created us to have desire, to have passion. But it's when it's disordered, you know, it goes off the rails a little bit. That's when we hurt others and hurt ourselves and, you know, and, and rupture our relationship with our Lord. So, you know, when Jesus is saying, I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you know, were they hungering for righteousness or were they hungering just to do the right things externally to follow the rules? You know, I don't know. You know, only God knows their heart. But in my life, I just have to be careful that, that I don't fall onto the Pharisaic side and, and just try to do all the right things. Um, but I remember it's a part of Jesus that, mm. that when I have a desire for him and when he revealed to St. Margaret Mary, his sacred heart, he asked her, you know, he said, behold, this heart of mine that loves so much yet receives such little love in return. Mm. And he asked her, do you know what hurts my heart the most? And, you know, I would think adultery, murder, or some of the things we're talking about in here in the commandments. He said, he didn't say any of those. He said, indifference, indifference. You know, another way to say it, lukewarmness, right? Just when we're just like, eh, whatever. If my right, if my hunger and thirst is to console his heart, to to not be indifferent, just to be just all in for him, uh, then that's that's a beautiful thing. But I said to make sure I don't fall on the, uh, you know, the, the 
the law side too much. I, I think this Matthew 5 reveals to each of us where we are right now in our in our faith. Scripture does that in general, but I think Matthew 5 in a particular way because it's that pivot point between the law and the heart. And for those listeners who recognize Matthew 5, this is the, the main mid, middle major uh, scripture that John Paul II uses as the foundation for what he called a theology of the body. It's a major turning point in moving from the law to the heart, not away from the law. You can hear here in, in Christ that uh, he's edifying, he's building up actually in this case the law. He's building up the scribes and the Pharisees. He's, he's adding almost a second pillar by saying, I know you know the law is the measure of righteousness. I know you know everything you've taught as a good Jew. He's assuming the goodness of the law and the scribes and the Pharisees and what at least what they're trying to do. And he's elevating now this second necessary pillar that says it's not enough. The second pillar is the heart, that unless our hearts are purified and unless the law we follow is an expression of a pure heart – Unless that both of those are there, we become the hypocrites that he condemns. We become the legalizers and the, and the, the Pharisees in the negative sense that, that are looking for external acts to justify them. This is a pivot in the Gospels and in Christ's ministry because he's at once holding up the fullness and the power of the law to keep us from death. But at the same time, he's revealing the power of the law from God passes through our hearts, meaning mm. the inner person of who we are, that unless we look at our own inner heart and what moves us, what desires that we have, the emotions that move us and, and draw us out, unless we deal with those, we're going to continually be either breaking or struggling against this law. But once we have our hearts aligned back with God, meaning our desires are God's desires, that not our feelings necessarily, but our will is to mm -hmm. do God's will with a joy and a passion. In a real sense, we don't even need the law. It's as if the external coat of armor has become a, a, a skeletal system where we have freedom of movement and that everything that we're supposed to be in good and do is a goodness that radiates from us as opposed to a restriction that comes from mm -hmm. the outside. So I think where we are in our faith, we tie ourselves to the law when we, when we need the guidelines. When I was a young man, I came back to the church. I needed the law. I needed mm -hmm. to know, re remind me of the commandments again. How do I do confession? What, you know, how many times do I go to – I needed the law. And as I started to move into God's love as a son – I had, to, I had to recognize, wait a minute, this isn't just some external master, a taskmaster. This is daddy. And that was hard. And then I had to swing back. and Yeah, he's daddy, but he's also the creator of the universe. There is a wrath and there is a mercy. It's not either or. It's a both and. And I think that as we move and ebb and flow in our life and our faith, edifying and building these two up is crucial to keep that balance in right faith. Well, I think also it's really powerful here as I keep reflecting on what you've shared earlier and what you shared just now about the heart is that like the Pharisees and the scribes, we can know everything about the Bible. We can mm. quote verse, scripture verse. We can have it. We can consume it, consume it, consume it. They knew it. They knew it. They lived it. Mm. But if it fails to go to the heart, we are those, those dry bones mm. because we really don't know God. Mm -hmm. So for me, just as your heart, Damon— pumps the life-giving blood to your brain and the rest of your body, so too the heart must control the head. It is the primacy because that heart, David said it the best in the Psalms, created me, O Lord, a new heart, a new heart. And then with that new heart, 
Renew my mind that I may have the mind of Christ. It's not either or, it's both and. However, the mind can't control the heart or its legalism. It, you, the mind can't say, okay, do this, do this, do this, do this. That's not what it's about because love is the response to the invitation of that eternal exchange of love. And for me, <laughs> love is always free, total, faithful, fruitful. It That invitation to love has to come from the heart. It's a response. We're the only creatures created, given the gift of free will, to respond to the invitation of love. The law is important. It's like you said earlier. It's the guardrails to keep us in the in the road area, because if we go outside the law, then we're going to we could go off a cliff. We're we die. Could, we, yeah, we we're going to die. So for me, mm-hmm. it's all about your heart. So. For me, if I if I say I don't sin or I think I got it all figured out, I'm lost. But when I invite the Holy Spirit into my heart, and again, David said it in, in the Psalms again, search me, O Lord. Holy Spirit, search me and reveal to me my shortcomings, my sinfulness, where I do lust, where I do, you know, am angry, where I am have carrying unforgiveness. Why? Because those portals of poison that the enemy has in our hearts got to be pulled out so that we have this pure heart and from that heart emanates pure love to each and every person that we meet. That's what I see. And it's so, so important. It's not just about the head. Mm -hmm. It must be about creating me the new heart. And that's where scripture clearly tells us you can't put new wine which represents Christ in an old wineskin, which represents our old heart. We have the new wineskin, the new heart, where Christ then fills it and it becomes his heart that operates within us and, and, and gives life to the mind so that it's always a response of love. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at the, as you're sharing that, I'm looking at the, the first reading that we're going to hear on Sunday and uh, you know, it's, from, it's from Sirach. So the, you know, these folks might be just thinking of, of this as Jesus is, is teaching, the first line is, if you choose, if you choose, you can keep the commandments, they will save you. So is it possible that they got so wrapped up in the commandments and keeping them down to the letter, not only the 10, but the 613, that that became their God as, a, as opposed to God saves you? Mm-hmm. Um you know, so then Jesus is really trying to break the hardness because when you follow all those 613 rules, you can get a hardness in your heart. Mm-hmm. So our Lord is trying to break through that hardness in their hearts and in our hearts to, you know, to love. And, uh, yeah, and, and, you know, we look at the purpose of our lives, you know, we have it on our, our prayer book. The purpose of our life is to know God, love God, and serve God. To know God, love God, serve God, and know is an intimacy. Absolutely. But you have that intimacy, and the more you know, the more you're going to love, the more you love, the more you're going to serve, and then you get into this beautiful, virtuous cycle of, of that's your desire, that's your passion, is to know, love, and serve God in everything we do. And a perfect imagery of that is marriage. Because if it's all about the law, I took out the trash, I earned the money, I drove <laughs> the car, kids, I did this, I did that, don't you know I love you? <laughs> uh, what does your wife think about that? But I'll give you a perfect example. Today, this morning, I came home to the house and I saw my wife's muddy boots 
sitting on the on the wall. She had gone out yesterday with me to do a project with me. And the Holy Spirit, that still quiet voice, said, let her know you love her. Her love language is acts of service. I took those muddy boots and I scrubbed them clean. And I didn't want anything in return, but I took them and I gave them to her. And like a little girl, she lit up <laughs> and basically said, you just told me you love me. Do you see that? It's a response of love. And it's not, oh, I have to wash her boots. Oh, I got to clean up her boots. No. My heart desired to let her know I love her. That's what God wants. He wants our hearts to desire not to lust, to desire not to steal, to desire, because then we don't really need the law because our hearts have been conformed and formed into the image and likeness of Christ. And that's why Jesus said it all gets summed up in two, two. Love God with what? All your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. Mm. And the other is like it, but not it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Those two laws sum up everything. Because the whole Bible from beginning to end is an invitation to the eternal exchange of love. The bridegroom wooing his bride, each and every one of us, the church. Yeah, I think the, the, it's beautiful because it... We get confirmation of this in our culture with anyone, Christian, professing or not, who know love is good. Love is, is non-controversial. You're not going to get anybody who says, oh, love is bad, right? But you're going to get people who distort or minimize what love is in order to reduce and take the suffering out or to take out the, the challenge or the demands of love. So you hear people say, well, why did you, why did you take your grandmother's life? Well, she was suffering and I, I, I killed her out of love or I ended her life. I, you, know, you hear people justify you know, things in the name of, of a love that, that isn't really love. And I think that's where the gospel, that's where us as, as witnesses and as Christians continue to proclaim what Christ showed is the fullness of love. And I talk about this all the time in my talks about, you know, the Greeks had four different types of love, right? Uh, at least the names of love. We have one love to describe everything from pizza <laughs> to God himself, right? So when we talk about love, it depends on how people receive that love in their own um, their their own experience in their own life. Love is not how you feel. When you say you should love everyone, some people hear, they hear, well, that means I should feel love toward everyone. Christ wants us to feel loving toward everyone. That couldn't be further from the truth, okay? The reality is there's going to be people you don't like. There's going to be people that you just don't like to be around. There's going to be people that annoy you. There's some people you naturally have an affinity towards. That's not the love of Christianity that's dependent on an emotion or a circumstance. The love that we speak about and proclaim as Christians here that, that changes everything, the love that can go from God to pizza, is willing the good for others. And when you will the good for others, you're not worried about your own in particular feelings toward them. You're ordered toward what is that good? What, what does your wife, what, what does she need in that moment? Because I, I, don't, I don't speak for you. I would imagine you weren't in the mood when you came home. Oh, let me come home and white, wash some boots. I mean, that wasn't, that nope. wasn't in here, right? right? <laughs> Didn't make my list. But the will to do the good was not in a bubble. There was, an, there was a, a passionate love that's there, yes. but it was animated through the act of the will to do something for her good. Yes. And in that little example, that beautiful little example, is, is how we distinguish how love can change the world. It's not about feeling a certain way toward others. In your wife, you had that. But when we love our neighbor, when we pray for our enemies, when we pray for those who persecute us, it's not this mind game. It's not an, an act of a personal willpower. We're saying, 
saying, Lord, give me the courage. Give me your courage as you showed on the cross to be the gift for others, to will their good above my own desire. That we can't do on our own. I don't care how long you've been a Christian, how long you've known the Lord. Uh, you have to receive from him that power at every moment to love like him. And in that sense, we witness to people in our enemies, in our conflicts, how we love them, more so even than to those that we have a natural affinity to. So love here, when we speak about it, is willing the good and then asking God for the strength, for the will to do it, and for the change of heart so that the next time it's a little bit easier. It's a little bit easier because it's it's flowing from from God through my own heart. Right. And the more we make the gift, the more we act the will, the more he changes our heart from, as you said with David, the stone to this fleshy heart that we say every time at Mass. Lord, we lift up our hearts. We lift them up to you. That's not poetry. That's us saying, I give you my inmost being, Lord, for you to do the surgery as the great physician yep. so that my desires are your desires. Yep. Mm. Beautiful. And and we're just going to play off the last sentence then, because I think this is really where it comes down to here. Let your yes mean yes and your no mean no. Anything more is from the evil one. If a person comes up to me and says, well, you know, is, is same-sex marriage okay? Well, isn't the loving thing to do is say, well, you know, it's up to the couple. It's up to them. It's It might be, you know, re but you know what? What do I do? I go to the word of God, which is which is truth. And then I go to his church the Catholic Church, and say, what do you teach? What have you taught for 2,000 years? And the answer is, well, it's not a marriage. No, it's not okay. But if I use maybe, that's not from God. <laughs> maybe is not from God. You know, it's contraception. Is that okay or is it not okay? Well, again, I'm not, I'm not the church, but I'm a part of the church, so I go to the Word of God. We know all children are a blessing from God. A full quiver is a blessed man with a full quiver is a blessed man. So we know that, that God said, be fruitful, multiply, and didn't take it back. And then we go to the church, Holy Mother Church, who the Bible tells us is the bulwark and foundation of truth. We say, what do you teach? It's, it's an inherent evil. And say, you know what? It's an inherent evil. So we always need to deliver the message of truth with love. You can't divide the two. And humility, but truth is truth. And to say maybe is not, is not love. And just, just to clarify, when you say that, which is which is gospel, uh, deliver it with love. I want people to really hear what you're saying. That you're not saying deliver it nicely. You're not saying deliver it in a, in, a, in a, You're saying deliver it for their good. Yes, that's your, it. your intention is to will their good. Correct. So I'm and telling you this good because heaven. that's it, and <laughs> that's I will it. heaven for you. Yeah, I will this for you. So I'm telling you this because. It may hurt our relationship. It may hurt me. It may hurt the way you look at me. Yes. But I will your good so much more than anything. Awesome. Well, ladies and gentlemen, God bless each and every one of you. Let's consume the Word of God and be that light to the world that points to the ever-eternal exchange of love. Bye-bye. Reflections from the Heart has been presented by Stewardship, a Mission of Faith. We hope that you've been blessed and encouraged as you listen to Reflections from the Heart. If so, you might consider participating in a Gospel Reflection group. For information on locations and times of Gospel Reflection Groups, or how to start a Gospel Reflection Group in your area, please visit our website at stewardshipmission.org and click on Gospel Reflection Groups, or call us at 717-367-0100. 
Stewardship a Mission of Faith is a 501c3 nonprofit organization and depends on donations from people like you to make Reflections from the Heart possible. If you enjoyed this broadcast, please prayerfully consider making a tax-deductible donation by visiting our website or calling us at 717-367-0100. On behalf of David and the staff here at Stewardship, a Mission of Faith, thank you for listening. And until next time, may God bless, protect, and guide you on your journey home to Him.